Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 16 years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic Splash. Unsuspecting friends. A work of art only possible because Greg is already meeting all these same people at AARP volunteer and community events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org local. All right, welcome to Bet the Edge. I'm Jay Croucher, riding high after a great night of sports. Stayed up till 1.55 a.m. Eastern watching my beloved <laughs> Florida Panthers. Matthew Kachuk King nailing the winner in a game that never ended. If I'm a little bleary-eyed, it's because my daughter, who turns one tomorrow, uh, she doesn't care about Panthers hockey and she works at five for the No respect for Panthers hockey or the fact that cats have nine lives. Uh, we're not going to talk about the NHL today. We're going to talk about the NBA later. But uh, we're going to start off with you, Kenny Rice. Thanks very much for joining us. We're going to talk about the Black Eyed Susan and Preakness Stakes. Uh, and let's start off by talking about black-eyed susan uh pfizer is a seven to five favorite uh do you think that's justified kenny and uh do you think the extra distance will be any issue i don't think the distance will by the way jay did you just hang that uh, jersey up because that was some kind of performance last night i didn't know yeah, it was a pretty good shot making i stayed up and watched it and you know that's that's kind of legend stuff. I don't like to give hyperbole too much, but that that fourth quarter was amazing for him. Pretty good for anyway. <laughs> yeah, you know who who passed through my alma mater, the University of Kentucky, as mm. so many of the great guards are now. They never won titles, but they weren't there long enough to develop. And you know, you had the Aaron Fox came through, and Malik Monk, yeah. and uh, Ty- Maxi up there is yep. playing. You know, it's uh, it's crazy. And uh, Devin Booker, all these guys came through in a short period of time, and they they went job. on. Much like, you know, I, I just mentioned, by the way, we'll talk about the Preakness. I just mentioned more former Kentucky guards that will be in the Preakness stakes, I think. But, uh, <laughs> but get, get, getting this race, Baffert has the favorite. I think he should have the favorite. Uh, you know, they were going to run her in the – they talked about running her in the Oaks. But uh, because of the ownership with Gamine and that uh, loyalty to Bob Baffert, as a lot of his uh, – as even the guys with National Treasure still have, obviously – uh, they said, uh, no, no, we, we, you know, Bob can't come to Churchill, so we won't run the Oaks. We're going to point to the Black-Eyed Susan, which is the only reason she's in this race. But I don't think the extra distance is going to hurt her. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious who might uh, – well, you look at number four at six to one. I think Brad Cox has uh, – Merlotza has a, has a good shot in there. That would be the upset for me. And you look at all the prices. They're not bad prices. <laughs> you get past seven to five. There's a lot of money out there. Uh, and, and I'll give you the long shot in that cats in the timber at 30 to one to factor in some kind of try or, or super because Brittany Russell uh, is just on the rise. She's been red hot for the last couple of years. She's doing so well here and she trains uh, the 11 and, you know, that might be uh, something to look at, not to win. I don't think it can win because I think Baffert's got the best horse and Cox is right behind him. 
Oh, interesting. So those are a couple of shouts I haven't heard. So appreciate that. That's a uh, good new information. Um, what do you have a general strategy when what when uh, you come to this uh, particular stage of the uh, Triple Crown? Where here we are now. It's been two weeks since pre- since Oaks Derby. Um, uh, a couple of sort of the horses that were expected to be in the mix for uh, for Oaks champ, you know, for maybe even Oaks favorite at one point in the futures pool, like Hoosier Philly, uh, ultimately yeah. didn't even get to run. Um, yeah. Similarly, taxed wasn't also eligible, didn't get to run. Um, do you have a strategy with what you do with horses like that? Because presumably you get them ready to go Derby weekend. And if they don't run, then, you know, and you carry it over two weeks for the, you know, for uh, Preak this weekend is, is, are those tosses for you? Or do you think that they may have something extra in the tank that we just haven't yeah. seen them in a while? You know, you look at tax. I think I think Drew that tax is coming off probably her best race, uh, probably. Uh, you know, it, I mean, she did so many things right. Who's your filly, on the other hand? I don't know. I mean, it's almost like again, we'll go back to the old basketball analogy. Okay, it's like that uh, the great All American high school basketball star that slowly transitions and is not ready for the draft immediately. Has to be a sophomore, maybe a junior, before they would live up to expectations. And, and last year, yeah, you watch her last year. Uh, you know, I thought Tom – and Tom Amos does a really nice job, obviously, with so many of his. But, Shaw, I just – I thought that she might be the best coming into this year, the best three-year-old candidate, or one of the top three, let's say. And and so far, you know, you keep – you know, I keep looking and saying, well, let's see, can I make an excuse? I mean, you know, she's, you know, she's kind of right there. She's coming off a third and fourth, but she can't take that next step. And I don't think in this company – I don't see her with FaZa or with uh, – Merlotza taking that next step past a couple like that. And, you know, maybe even like comparative, you know, it's not a bad horse at 12 to one. I mean, I think the competition is really good here for her. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. 10 to one seems like a pretty nice price for, I think I'd I'd make her a little higher price actually. Hmm. Any other, you mentioned cats in the timber 30 to one, any other horses that are going to be on your card, Kenny? Um, You know, those are the ones that I'm looking at the most. And we're focused obviously just on the black eyed Susan and trying to figure out now what to do with so many of the, the changes, you know, more, you know, just like the Derby, we had more changes than I could ever remember. And now we're looking at a Preakness card. Uh, and I think mage has been 1948 since only one Derby horse, not Derby winner, but only one Derby horse came to the Preakness. And, and now we, you know, a horse had to drop out earlier today that, uh, I think had a great shot at winning. As a matter of fact, I was, uh, getting ready to, to pick first mission to win the Preakness. Uh, I, I thought uh, I saw him run into Lexington. I thought he was that good. And I know Cox uh, was pointed towards this race. He, he didn't even think about the Derby because uh, the time frame was too close to the Derby from the Lexington. So uh, that, that's kind of what I've been looking at today. You know, again, I, I think that this could be a good return to Pimlico for Baffert, not just today in the, in the Pimlico, uh, today in the Black Eyed Susan, but you know, it'll be interesting tomorrow to see how he does in this Preakness field that, that keeps dwindling. Yeah. Can I ask you about Baffert a little bit? So, uh, obviously, like the buzz around horse racing right now is all kinds of, uh, you know, yeah. thoughts and concerns yeah. and safety of the horses and all this. And Baffert, of course, is coming off of suspension for, you know, not necessarily having the, uh, you know, the best kind of mindset about uh, the care and well-being of his horses. Um, would you expect he kind of makes a return to the horse racing uh, world in general with like a, a vengeance? I'm going to go and win, I'm gonna win and you know win at all costs, or uh, is he going to kind of make a little bit more soft return considering sort of the overall conversation going on right now? I think after you know it all blew up and blew up, 
you know, blowed up real good, as they would say in an old uh, favorite comedy series of mine, Once Upon a Time. Uh, after all that, uh, over about two years ago now, you know, Bob kept a very low profile. And with Country Grammar and some of his older horses, he's doing so well, defunded and all, low profile. Didn't make a big deal out of things, which was the best strategy. Uh, his clients, like I say, that stuck with him, uh, they didn't make a big deal. You know, when National Treasure goes to Tim Yachtin to try to get some derby points uh, in the Santa Anita Derby and he finishes his fourth, nobody made a big deal. Yachtin knew that he was only, you know, there for the moment and Baffert would be eligible to run in the Preakness. And so they knew they were going right back. So I think that part of they've handled well. You know, a couple of questions that I have in general for racing is what has that accomplished uh, Baffert's suspension? Uh, in the overall look of things and when you still see problems in the horse business and questions about horses health and how, how did they get injured? What's going on? How do they have a horse death? Can you, you know, can you get an explanation? Uh, I'm not sure that changed a lot. I personally think, look, Baffert made a mistake. I still liken it to driving 70 and a 55. He violated a rule. He should have been punished. He should have been fined. I think that it was too severe. What did happen? Uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't commit, he didn't commit a felony. And, uh, but he was loose and he made a mistake and I don't make any excuses for him. And I think now after he tried and didn't handle it very well, I mean, he'd tell you that. I think after he tried to do that early on, uh, look, he just made a mistake. He got a little loose with things. They can't use that ointment on the horse's rump, uh, sure. within a certain time period before that they could use it. And that's the toughest play, the toughest thing to explain. How can you ever explain? It'd be like, in, okay, let's say right now in the NBA playoffs, uh, you know, some guy takes, uh, you know, three Tylenols, but he can only take two for his leg pain. Uh, and, and now, what is he, do they throw him out, of the, ban him from the league? And people say, well, that may be trivial. But, no, that's kind of what happened with Baffert. Uh, you know, it wasn't a performance enhancer. It wasn't, an anab- uh, uh, stero- it wasn't any kind of steroid, not an anabolic steroid in any way. It was a ointment on a horse's rump that's legal most of the time, except within a certain time frame. And... Uh, you know, I don't know if all these Pico and nanograms and things are really good for the general public. They get very confused. And I'll tell you what's going to be tougher, in my opinion, with horse racing is with everybody able to bet out there. And, you know, yeah. Kentucky now, where I live, they've got horse, they've got the gambling coming in. You go bet on sports. And Keelan's getting ready to add on out there and put in a nice little sports book. Uh, so, you know, there's enough competition out there that, as you know, with all the other sports, you really have to have transparency. And the betters cannot be saying, wonder what's going on. Why was that horse yeah. out of the, why is that horse scratched a lot or whatever? Uh, they need to have more transparency. Maybe this uh, HISA that goes into effect next week, uh, the Horseman's uh, you know, uh, Safety Act, maybe that'll help out. I, I hope it does uh, because the sport really needs to have clarification all across the board. Okay, that makes me feel a little bit better because it was going to be complicated feelings if he's in the winner's circle once, quite twice, a couple times this weekend. Uh, it was going to be like, you know, are you excited about this or is there going to be questions swirling? And, you know, we we desperately, uh, you know, they think the sport needs to sort all this out long before we get to the 150th running of the Derby next year where Baffle will be You're back because right. if that's the central part of the story at the 150th Derby, then something's gone terribly wrong. So uh, hopefully we can yeah. kind of uh, resolve all this between now and then. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, best of luck to him in the uh, in the Black Eyed Susan, where he's got the best of yeah. the horses. Yeah, you know, I mean, he 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 should win this race. I think he's uh, confident that he will win win this race, or he wouldn't be here. You know, what I mean, because he <laughs> he knows what's it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And he said, oh, "Well, yeah, why, no why does any why does any trainer show up?" But again, given what's happened over the last two years, I don't think he would come here to make an appearance to say, "Hey, look, I'm back." Yeah, 
I, know, I think he wants to make yeah. I think he's here to make a statement, which is probably not logical handicapping. But, you know, you start looking at some things and and you see the track record that uh, his filly has. And it, it kind of adds up that, you know, he knew exactly what spot he was going to put her in, you know, in the Black Eyed Susan. Yep. Kenny, you mentioned that first mission was scratched. First mission was five to two. Uh, how do you think this opens up the rest of the race? And, and who do you ultimately think wins the Preakness? Well, you know, that that's really interesting. Now, with him going out of there, you start thinking, okay, who's going to get out? National Treasure will get out there. Uh, Mage will probably not, not be too far behind now. I think it, that'll, I think first mission, it changes a little bit of the pace factor, not being out there. Uh, who would have been out, you know, pressing the pace early. I think you, they would have, they would have been out there probably with Baffert's horse. Cox and Baffert would be out there. Mage would have been closer than he would have, would have been in the Derby, but obviously he doesn't have to navigate around the field he did in the Derby. Um, you know, the, the horse in here that really is interests me is blazing sevens who was on track to be in the Derby. They held him out of the Derby. Chad Brown has kind of got this knack now with, uh, uh, you know, cloud computing a few years back. And then last year with early voting, he's kind of got this knack down about skipping the Derby pointing toward the Preakness, you know, avoiding that traffic jam that can be the Derby getting into a more, uh, manageable situation. Blazing sevens had a pretty nice run at third in the bluegrass uh, who was uh, just behind Tappet Trice at, at that stage and uh, verifying. So, you know, I think he's coming off a pretty good race. He's had way n- enough time for, for him to get ready for this. And, and, you know, you wonder mage is, is a deserving favorite. The Preakness, unlike any other race is probably the most true to form of any of the classic races anywhere, you know, breeders cup races, whatever uh, about 50% of the time, the favorites come in, which, you know, is, you know, yeah. is astronomical when if you're batting, thir- if you're batting 330, you know, you're a pretty good handicapper. So it's hard to go against Mage. But then again, I'm surprised that he didn't get more challengers coming in here from the Derby itself because it wasn't like he blew that field away, had a very nice run and is a deserving winner, no doubt. But I'm not sure that, uh, you know, we saw the makings of a of a Justify, for example, who, who looks super, you know, when he won the Derby. I don't know. Yeah. I, you know, of course, look at me. I didn't pick mage at all, Drew. You know, I'm standing up there with you. Where's where's my mage pick? You know, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Yeah, I mean, uh, mage really threw us all off because Forte was the better horse in the Florida Derby and all the prep we did, Forte was in the race. <laughs> it's tough to take the horse that you know, oh, no. was, I, oh. it was cl- yeah. clearly, you know, anyway. But that's, that's uh, yeah. but you know, having seen the Derby, having seen it run, it was a very, very, very hot pace, which was a surprise. Yeah. I thought maybe it would be yeah. a little cooler after what we saw the previous year. Um, but uh, Mage was out there 48 flat yeah. in the first half, yeah. which is a fast opening, you know, fast opening a half. And honestly, uh, assuming that the conditions are fair and that there's no, you know, meaningful rain and slop on the track, like this is a hor- you know, this is a race that kind of the speed is a premium. Blazing Sevens is an interesting call. I've heard some people say he's a one turn horse. Don't really trust him in the two, you know, two turn uh, type of race. But, you know, he definitely has the speed. So if he can get out or on the lead, he could definitely hit the board, if not win. I think Mage ultimately is is the right pick. And, you know, Kenny, we got to think long term here, man. We want Mage to win. We want him to go into the Belmont with the chance to get the triple crown yeah. because realistically, I think he's bet against in the Belmont. Uh, so fingers crossed that he gets it done and gets it done in style and we get a good price against yeah. uh, Mage at the Belmont. I think that's the right way yeah. we want to construct this. So I'm singling yeah. Mage in my pick fives. I'm singling at the top of my uh, try. But the rest of the try is a little difficult to kind of figure out here. So 
I think you got to use national treasure in the two, just because as you kind of mentioned, he's, you know, Baffert bringing him here for a reason. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the other horse that really stood out, who's kind of a, maybe may end up going off at a price is the six horse perform. Uh, I'm not sure whether to put him in the two or the three. Um, what is, what is sort of the, uh, the ultimate construction uh, of your trifecta for this race? Well, see, I like him too. I like performing there. I like, Mm -hmm. uh, I like the obvious ones with national treasure and blazing sevens right behind mage. Okay. Uh, but then I, I like perform as that fourth horse to get into the mix. And here's why. Suge McGay, he hasn't been here in 10 years. Hall of Fame trainer. Uh, he does. Again, there's a guy that doesn't just show up. Now, I have friends, that, you know, they, 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 they're here. They're studying their form today, and they're looking all through, and they make fun of me sometimes. I said, you know, I learned a long time ago, when guys show up, that you know, they're not on the scene every year. You go, you know, why Suge here? And especially – uh, even though it, it, he actually, they're making a Drew size bet, Jay, as you know, they're betting a hundred and they, basically they're betting $150,000 that my horse is going to finish in the top three, because if he finishes in the top three, they'll get their money back. If he finishes at least third, they make a $15,000 profit, nice. um, you know, on their bet. Uh, and I call it a bet because, you know, they had a chance in, in January to nominate him for $600 to the triple crown. They did March. It could have been 6,000. They didn't. So now he wins two in a row after going 0 for 5. Shug McGay, he tells the ownership, they have the deep enough pockets by the Farish family and the Phipps family. You know, they can do this among the owners. Uh, he said, you know, I, I think this horse is actually legitimate. I think he's, I don't know if he's great. But, you know, don't think he's going to get carried away, but he factors in the mix. Mm-hmm. So maybe we ought to give it a shot. And they said, well, Annie up $150,000 and put him in. And that's what they've done. So, you know, when you have that kind of, confidence in a horse and you got a hall of fame trainer i don't think you can dismiss him plus he has looked better he looked awful at the first of the year no wonder they didn't nominate him but you know yeah. he looks pretty good yeah he, i mean he's getting consistency which is all you can ask for in any of these three-year-olds how consistent are they coming now they don't have to always be winning but are, are they are they pushing it a little bit better indeed all right well there we have it kenny appreciate the breakdown as always all the great intel also appreciate you being on the jamal murray bandwagon uh can get as many of those people as as we can uh so everyone can follow kenny at kenny rice sports on twitter uh kenny can you tell people how you're going to be involved in the races this weekend i will t- we're on peacock on on friday covering the for all you streamers out there it'll be peacock and then yeah. we start uh, on Saturday on CNBC at 1.30 uh, with undercards and uh, some really nice races on the undercard, by the way. And then, you know, some interviews with uh, those that are in the mix. One thing we're going to look at a little bit is like things the three of us could get involved with, these micro shares. You know, the people with maids, they're in micro shares now. Uh, uh, there's a horse called Straight No Chaser running tomorrow. Another micro share horse that was tied in with authentic that whole uh, race, uh, my race horse deal. You know, it's kind of so we're going to delve into a little bit of that. And then, of course, we'll have with uh, the limited horses in the field, we'll have some in-depth uh, discussions about all the horses. And we switch over to NBC at 430 to 730 Eastern for all the Preakness coverage. Yep. Awesome. Okay. All right. Well, everyone, be sure to check that out. Kenny, thanks so much again for joining us and uh, have a great weekend. Jay and Drew, it's always my pleasure. Enjoy it, guys. Thank you very much. See you, man. Okay. Every season is draft season. Drew, get your Rotoworld Draft Guide bundle today and dominate your football, baseball, and basketball drafts. Packed with profiles, rankings, projections. Order today and get all three Rotoworld Draft Guides for the price of two. Plus, use promo code BERRY and save an extra 20% at checkout. 
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 16 years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic Splash. Unsuspecting friends. A work of art only possible because Greg is already meeting all these same people at AARP volunteer and community events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org local. What if millions of black Americans had been compensated for slavery? Join me, Tremaine Lee, as I explore the untold story of one of the only black Americans who ever was. I talk to his descendants and discuss how reparations forever change their family's trajectory and imagine a reality where reparations are paid to the rest of black America. Into America presents Uncounted Millions, The Power of Reparations, a Black History Month series. New episodes drop Thursdays. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Miami Heat. Boston Celtics. Uh, the way I want to frame this one, first of all, the line is Celtics minus nine. The total is 215. The way I'm kind of thinking about the series in my head is, is there any real reason to think now that Miami are a worse team than they were last year when they were 50-plus wins, one seed, top sixth in net rating? Like, I think we need to depart from thinking about this team as, you know, a seven, eight seed play-in team because of what they've shown in the first two rounds and one game. And if you just go down the list of players, like I, I don't think there's any reason to think they're, they're worse because Butler is better. Caleb Martin is a lot better. Kyle Lowry is better. Bam is the same. Um, Gabe Vincent Struess, they're the same. And they're missing Hero, but they were missing Hero last season. Uh, PJ Tucker out hurts. But, I mean, do you think this is just the same team as last season now? Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's tough to deny that. Um, I, I mean, I, I almost want to kind of want to make an argument that they're better. I feel like they had better, they had more well-defined roles last year and obviously Tyler hero on the floor. You're, you know, you're, you're a better team, but you know, hero's role as the sixth man always felt like the right spot for him. And, and, you know, he wanted to be a starter. They're paying him starter money. So you give him the starter role this season and it, you know, for the balance of the regular season, they just didn't feel as good. They dealt with injuries all season that kind of threw people off of the scent. Um, But you know, that kind of, those workmen like uh, guys who, you know, legends of the, uh, you know, college basketball circuits, the, you know, the, the, um, the Max Struces, the Caleb Martins um, and the Gabe Vincents, like those guys have all gotten better. They're all better this year than they were last year. And they have the experience of last year's playoff run. So I, you know, I, I looks to me at least like, you know, Jimmy Butler is going to continue to perform at an all NBA level. And those guys have all taken a meaningful step forward. And, you know, oh, by the way, some of the role players, you know, Kevin Love and, uh, you know, the, you know, Kyle Lowry, even he looks like he's in better health and better fitness this year than he was last year. And, uh, you know, so I, you know, I don't, I'm not running to the window here to back the heat to win the series or win the title or, you know, or anything, but, um, nine points is crazy. It's crazy. There's, yeah. It's a lot. And I, you know, I, I, um, I'm running pretty hot in the NBA right now. And 
everything is saying like just take tonight off <laughs> because this is a heater pass price, but the Celtics have their backs against the wall. Uh, and you know, for whatever it's worth that the Celtics have, you know, a meaningful lead in the second half of this game, the heater better served giving their guys a little bit of a blow, uh, and regrouping for game three at home and you know, protecting home court. Um, so I think the dynamics of this situation are unique in the way that you have to, you know, kind of treat this as heat or pass. Uh, and for me, this is a pass, even though I think nine is kind of an absurd price. I mean, the, the, I think once we come back for game five in this series, and if it's two, two or three, one heat, uh, you're going to see Celtics five and a half, five. That to me, I think is a more fair price, uh, considering the true talent gap here between these two teams, which is a lot closer than, uh, we really ever gave the heat credit for. Yeah, I think ultimately, I think that the Celtics will be bigger than that in Game 5 just because of how much respect the market has for Boston. I mean, even last season, Game 6, Celtics heat with the Celtics' a chance to close out the series uh, at full strength. It was Boston minus 8.5 um, against the one-seed heat. So I would think that rightly or wrongly, I think the market has that respect for Boston. I think, to me, like, if you just compare this series to the series last year, which uh, was a Jimmy Butler three rimming out from going the other way, um, I think what people maybe have forgotten about that is that, one, Kyle Lowry missed the first two games last year. He was hurt. Hero only played like 78 minutes for the series, so he was really a non-factor and he wasn't himself when he was out there. Butler also basically missed three games in the middle of the series like he missed the half of game three he played game four and five but wasn't didn't look right with the knee and then all of a sudden was just back so i think the heat are in a kind of health wise and the way they're playing they're in a better position i also think in terms of tonight and you know these series effects are having such a massive impact on the line I do think the Heat, they're just the team that, like, they just don't no-show games the way that, you know, the Lakers no-showed game twos in, you know, their first two-round series against Memphis and Golden State. Like, the Heat, the Heat didn't take, like, theoretically in terms of these series effects, they didn't need games five against the Bucks or the Knicks, but they showed up in a big way for both of those games and beat Milwaukee and took the Knicks down to the wire. So I suspect that they are going to show up and they know that they can't just be forfeiting games in this series with a lack of effort um, because, you know, Boston do have a significant talent advantage. So, yeah, I'm starting to lean heat a little bit as well. My gut feel for the series is still that the talent gap is so severe that Boston will ultimately figure it out and now at this stage probably win in six. But uh, at the same time, like Butler is the best player in the series. I think clearly Spolstra is clearly the better coach by significant margin. Uh, And now they've got home court advantage for the series. So I certainly can't dismiss the heat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they could steal this game tonight. I don't think that you can – I don't think that – I mean – there may be a point later in the series where I'm pounding the table and saying Celtics at any price, don't be stupid. Like that could happen. We could be on next week and I could say that. Uh, but this moment, I don't know that I'm going to bet the Celtics once this entire series, if this is the prices we're going to get. I, I mean, this doesn't, this isn't right. <laughs> There's a, these two teams are closer. This is surcharge because people think, uh, you know, the Celtics have to win because they're down one nothing. Um, and yeah, there is there. And by the way, like there's plenty of historical backup, like teams that are at this point in the playoffs. If you're if you lose your first, you know, your first game at home uh, and you're you're you know, the market views you as clearly the better team. Like 
traditionally those teams absolutely take care of business in game two. And so maybe that's why I'm a little bit trepidatious and I'm not playing the heat tonight, but yeah, I mean, nine points isn't, that's not a fair price. Yeah. I think it's, is it 17 straight times that the team? It's, down yeah. It's cr- It's yeah. yeah it's, 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 it's like, it's like the automatic, like a game seven under kind of deal in terms of just situational spots. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe it plays through tonight, but, uh, nine points, man. Whew. Yeah. The, the one thing with the Celtics, uh, and I think I've been on the Celtics in every single series they've played in the past two years, um, since they swept Brooklyn, uh, where they, did, they didn't play with their foot. They just took care of business in round one last year. Since that point, I think they're 18 and 16 in the playoffs. And that's like the Warriors, yes, that's a, fan, that's a great team. But outside of that, I mean, they're playing teams like the, the Trey Young Hawks, the Sixers with Embiid missing a game and then not being right the whole series, the Bucks without Middleton. Uh, I mean, they've really kind of messed around. And also the Heat as well, who were dealing with injuries all of last season in that series. So, uh, yeah, strange team to figure out, Boston Celtics. Uh, two teams which I think are probably a little bit easier to get a handle on at this point are the Denver Nuggets and Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers are five-point favorites in Game 3 after mm-hmm. being seven-point dogs in Game 1, five-and-a-half-point dogs last night. The total continues to drop, is now 223-and-a-half. Uh, do you think that this series is, I mean, it's not over, over, but the Nuggets are in a very commanding position. Um, what do you make of game three in the series? Yeah. I mean, this one, I think you, I don't mind at all getting involved with sort of the historical trend, which is team down O2 coming home. And I think there are some adjustments there for the Lakers, um, that pretty clearly, I mean, Again, two, you know, the Nuggets are up 2-0, and I think a lot, of, you know, pretty much everyone who you know cares about the NBA cares about coaching adjustments would say that the Nuggets haven't played great basketball to this point. They've been, you know, relatively fortunate that they had uh, such an inspired start to Game One and such an inspired close from one particular player in Game Two. Um, and you know, otherwise, this could e- they could easily be finding themselves in a you know a very uncomfortable spot right now. Um, but they're the better team. They have the best player by a margin, in my opinion, with Jokic. Um, and you know, I think we've you know the Lakers. I'm not exactly sure what they go to in terms of adjustments here to try to help revive the series. But they have been playing very very well in these game three spots as they've come home in the last two playoff series. And I think. Uh, playing them first half makes a ton of sense. I think I could see the first half line is going to get bet. It's going to get bet aggressively. It's probably going to close in the four, four, you know, maybe even as same as the full game spread wouldn't shock me. Um, and, you know, people are expecting the Lakers to come out hot and I would be one of those people as well. Um, so if you can find a three and a half still uh, for Lakers first half, I'm playing that. And I think that closes close to five. Um, and then if you want to play Lakers five for the full game, I wouldn't stop you either. Total is going to be the interesting one here because we do have, uh, some pretty clear, um, you know, went well over the total in the first game, well under in the second game. And second game to me was fraught with fatigue. Like the legs looked tired. Shots were, you know, hard to come by for a lot of those players, you know, second, third quarters, particularly. Um, so I think, uh, you know, I'm not 
I'm not, I'm going to keep an eye on where that total goes, but I'm probably leaning over at 223 and a half because I still think the Lakers probably get this done with offense. Nuggets, still some questions about the way that they uh, are choosing to uh, exercise their defensive, uh, you know, uh, roles and responsibilities. So um, Lakers, the side over the lean. Uh, and uh, I think this is still a series that's probably going to go six or seven games, but tough to say. Yeah. I think my read on the series is that the Nuggets haven't played particularly well. I'd say that on balance of play, the Lakers have slightly outplayed them and certainly definitely outplayed them over the past five quarters. And the Nuggets have just been bailed out by unbelievable shot making. Um, but at the same time, I think that probably just doesn't matter because now it's 2-0 and these teams are close enough and the Nuggets are probably slightly better and you would expect that would surface and it's just going to be too hard for the Lakers to win four out of five against Jokic. I'm a little... I understand that like down 0-2, home, it's LeBron, it's AD, it's LA. At the same time, like this Lakers team... Their games one and two, that's the first time they've played well and played hard in consecutive games all postseason. LeBron and AD are playing 40-plus minutes in these games, so I'd be a little bit skeptical that they're going to come out with enough energy to just blow the doors off of a Denver team that hasn't really played well in the series yet. Like, I don't think Denver are going to be complacent, like, oh, we've solved out, we've figured this team. Like, Denver are not... They're not clicking at the moment. I think they've got adjustments to make. I don't think Aaron Gordon is just going to continue to sit in the dunker spot with AD roaming just for the rest of the series. Like they have things that they can do. They had, you know, they've got this Christian Brown issue um, where I think that he's probably going to get phased out uh, and they're going to have more offensive oomph um, there. And I just think that the Nuggets can play much better than they have in these first two games that they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot. And also, like, LeBron kind of hurt his ankle last night too. And I thought that was notable in the fourth quarter that mm-hmm. he didn't look yeah. right. Uh, and he was settling for jumpers. It didn't seem like he had much left in the tank at all. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, everything says that, yeah, the Lakers will just come out in game three or two. That, you know, they'll handle business. But, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if this Nuggets team, particularly after what we saw in game six against Phoenix, which was, I guess, a, you know, a similar spot where, you know, the, the home team is is down 3-2 and is expected to come out guns blazing and the Nuggets just punch them in the mouth. So, uh, yeah, I think this is going to be close. I don't think that the Lakers, you know, and watch they'll blow them out by 40 now, but I don't think the Lakers are going to blow out the Nuggets in this series in games. I think the Nuggets' offense has too high of a floor. I don't think the Lakers' offense is good enough either, but okay. we will see. Everything you said was perfectly rational. The issue is Mike Malone's comments post game were concerning. <laughs> you have to be concerned if you're a Nuggets backer because he, you know, you said you said some important things, which are the Nuggets have some adjustments to make. They can fundamentally fix some problems with the way that they're playing basketball right now. But Malone basically came out and went, man, nah, 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 no, we're not fit. We're not changing anything. We're we're up two zero. All you guys are talking about the Lakers, and we're 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 all we're, we're winning. Like, I don't know what's going on with him, but he seems inclined to, he's going to have to learn his lesson the hard way. And I think it's going to be game three. Yeah, I, the, uh, it's definitely a concern. I thought they did a better job of defending LeBron, at least where they were a lot better with their hedges. They weren't just letting him just go at Jamal Murray one-on-one with zero help whatsoever the way they did in game one. So I thought defensively they made enough adjustments and the Lakers missed shots um, and they will have a better 
offensive performance with normal shooting, but at the same time, the offense, there was basically no adjustments and it just wasn't good, and they just needed Jamal Murray to bail them out with bubble shots. Um, so that's a concern. I, yeah, I'm starting to lean that Malone just isn't a great coach strategically. <laughs> I think he needs to get a lot of credit for, you know, the spirit of the team and how hard they sure. play. And like, this team is so mentally tough to be able to withstand these Laker runs. People forget as well, like, they came back from 3-1 in the bubble twice in a row. Like, the team is clearly um, tough and resilient. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't think they're optimizing um, what they can do. It's just they're not, they're not trying anything with Gordon. It was just, like, yeah. the same stuff over and over again. Can we have him out on the perimeter setting screens for off-ball shooters? Can we have him spacing to the corner? Can we like do what just every team does with PJ Tucker, where you just put him in the corner and ask him to make shots? It's not like Aaron Gordon's a 22% three-point shooter. Like he can make threes. So uh, yeah, all things that I will be looking for in game three. But for now, we are done. So don't forget to check out NBCSportsEdge.com for more information to help you with your wages. I'm Jake Croucher and Drew Dinsick. We'll be back on Monday. Thanks again to Kenny Rice and uh, good luck this weekend. Cheers. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.